There is an intersection in the spiritual heart, in the center and upwards through the chest, wherein innocence is part of one's signature. Vulnerable to God, whatever we call him or her or that, or don't call him or her or that. That state, that capacity to receive the purity of reality that is love, that is virtue, enters the next breath and we are transformed by receiving this. Our next moment becomes embodied grace as our life path. And we then are responsible, responding to the divine, embodying heaven on earth as the best person we're able to be in that moment. My own experience would be that this is always true. The difficulty is, for almost all of us, we find that that expression is nigh impossible because we constantly justify why the innocence is not the best embodiment for the present into the next moment. Because someone might hurt us or trick us or fool us or compete with us or win or lose. <clears throat> and so what we tend to do as we enter a word in, in the English language called control. Control. If I simply close my spiritual heart a little bit, then I'll know what to do when something bad happens, when there is sin, when there is that which falls, when there's something wrong, when divine order is not adequately present for where I can be aware of going forward based on my past. And so we enter the present moment into the future moment, partially based on the past, but the moment has not occurred before. So we don't really know the map. Rather, <clears throat> the map is being revealed to us. And all of the great saints and sages of all traditions are masters of the mystery of the sacred truth of that map. And from the mother of the Buddha to the mother Mary of Jesus and his family to Epictetus, a great Roman and Greek slave who was freed and became this extraordinary philosopher of the great heart to Lao Tzu in China walking in the mountains. Each of these beings has walked a map which is the same map heart to heart, nodding to one another across the sands of eternity each of these children, men or women, 
these people have simply breathed innocently enough to find their way. Just that statement allows your breath to change. Oh. And one's heart begins to open to the suppleness of allowing permission for the great mystery to be a safe place of journey for you, for me, together. I spoke last month in these contemplation classes or reflections which we're doing every month, just as beautiful gestures of how to live, how one might live. I spoke of the companion and what it is to walk side by side with loved ones so that we become like that acorn into the great oak, a companion. The still point of eternity in our heart is fulfilled when we live from this place. And we study different figures of history who've gone through horrific lives or opulent lives or austere lives or graceful lives or lives filled with drama and trauma. And we're a bit astonished. How did they ever do this? How was that one able to find the embodiment of the companion beside the tree of life, beside another human being, beside the fear and argument in their own heart chakra in the center of the chest? How did they ever not shut down? And how did they ever not become violent and violate the space of that mystery? How did they do it? <clears throat> and then we tend to practice the history. How did another being do this? How did a great soul do this? We study the companion of St. Francis of Assisi, his first cousin Claire, baking bread for the lepers, walking into the countryside to bring it to them. How did she do this? We might bake bread. We might care for other people. We might care for the unfortunate part of ourselves and our own families. As did St. Clair. She fed Francis, not only the lepers, but she fed Francis to the end of his days. Isn't that interesting? Father, mother, I think I'll go feed the lepers. I think I'll go feed Francis, with whom I used to play when we were children in the finery of our woven, our handwoven clothing from the mills of his family, who were caretakers of fine fabrics. Something in Claire did not change. Something in Claire allowed the innocence of the way in which she was formed is this gorgeous vessel of heaven. And when the innocence in her awakened maturely, she cultivated this, not as a weapon, not as a shield of armoring, not as a vulnerable recipient of violence from others, not a victim, not as an aggressor. I am so innocent, you know, wait till you see how holy I am. She was clear. She was simply clear, allowing 
the realization of her spiritual innocence in her heart, her spiritual heart, to open with such profound suppleness every breath that her cells followed in the gestures of daily life the quality of the grace of heaven, the pure light. In Himalayan Buddhism, this light is called the Dharma Kaya, the clear light of that which is real. In Hinduism, we would call this transcendental. A person might say, oh, I love to study transcendental meditation. You know, taking my mind into the orbits of light beyond that, beyond all color, beyond all thought, with a mantra of one syllable to open my breath to the sound of the spheres of the universe. Oh, I rest in that, in your innocence, in one's own innocence. You were created to realize this, to understand the indisputable goodness of this, and then to embody this as best you are able every moment. So when we come to the spiritual heart and we allow it to awaken, we often feel very foolish and some of our most peasanty teachers are marvelous at showing us how to do this with humility. I love to use uh, the late Stephen Levine and the late Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh as examples because these two men were God's own holy fools. Ty would come into a meeting when he was a younger man and many of the Different figures might have titles from universities or very sophisticated European shoes they were wearing or a very posh monastery they were representing. And Ty would walk in and be aware of the fact that he was a peasant from Vietnam. And he might go into the dining area and eat a bowl of food for all of mankind, and have someone bring him a cookie at the end of the meal. And he would keep that cookie sitting next to him at the conference until he was so at ease again as the innocent boy whose mother had baked cookies for him. And then he would feel confident to speak beyond all anger, beyond all denigration which came to him from other beings who considered themselves more sophisticated. It wasn't until his last 15 years of life that he became a rock star in the spiritual domains. And yet, in his own heart, he never was one. He was practicing the same innocent boy who continued to miss his mother. He didn't miss his mother in a bad way. Rather, he would take a breath and form a gata. Present moment, wonderful moment. Ah, my late mother, she who baked cookies. 
If I sat with the late Father Thomas Keating, erudite, sophisticate, of a renowned Northeastern American family, wonderful Ivy League education, tall, handsome, broad-shouldered, He missed the same thing. He spoke often of the longing he had to have been able to please his grandmother rather than to break her heart when he became a monk. They were dealing with the same losses one's mother and one's grandmother had gone through 70 years before their conversations with me. So, in Father Keating's last physical conversation, when I physically was with him, he spoke on five different occasions over a four-day period, and in each of the conversations, he spoke of the longing he had still to make right how he had broken his grandmother's heart. When as a very young man, late teens, early 20s, he started to let his family know he wanted to become a monk. And Thich Nhat Hanh, till the time when he could no longer speak, still would have smiled and known his innocence in the remembrance of a cookie. Oh, the one who begged that my innocence might prevail every breath of my life until I, the old man, the old great scholar monk, back at Hue, the the monastery of his youth. Ah, my mother's cookie. So these two men are great pillars, as was Stephen Levine, great pillars of human beings. We could say a million incredible things about each one of them. He could walk the map this way. Stephen would have been like this. You know, Ty, this is what Ty would have been like. This is what Father Keating would have been like. Amazing, just amazing. And we could look at every angle of the development of a very precious life sculpted by each of these three individuals, these saintly, sagely men. I could do this with women also, but I'm just talking about the the three specific souls right now. They were remarkable. But if I look at anything they ever did, from building an entire monastery in Colorado, to translating and writing books, to Don Han traveling the world and building Plum Village in France, If I look at anything the three men did, Stephen's work with just incomprehensible compassion, the seed inside each of them, companion to companion to companion, heart to heart to heart, they became masters of innocence realized. One almost never sees this. We start becoming silent when I speak of it in this way. Oh, go right. Our hearts know that state. Oh, 
my heart knows exactly how to be beside the innocence of Father Keating's innocence. My heart knows exactly how to be beside the innocence of Thich Nhat Hanh's innocence. My heart knows exactly how to be beside the innocence of Stephen Levine's innocence. We don't have an intellectual word for the innocence. It's that the childlike state of receiving heaven, receiving the next breath, receiving grace, was undisturbed in the three men. We could speak about the years of disturbance. That would make interesting books. They would be three fantastic memoirs or <clears throat> biographies we could write. Wait till I tell you about <clears throat> what Father Kinney did when he was 18. Wait until I tell you about Thich Nhat Hanh. Oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe the stories about Stephen. And then we tend to study, well, I wish I could be like them. How could I be that sophisticated? What should I do so that I form my own signature and compete with myself to build layer upon layer upon layer of who I think I am? Or I'll recapitulate myself. I'll see a therapist. I'll study so many different classes and I'll visit ashrams and monasteries and synagogues and mosques and I'll, I'll meet renowned people and I'll study and until I empty everything out of myself as such a meditation master, as a person recapitulating myself, processing everything. And the moment we let go of process to the still point of eternity in the heart chakra, the spiritual heart, where innocence resides, the processing begins to resolve itself. And the map of one's history tends to give enough discernment to safely find our way back to embodying that innocence every single breath from now throughout all the moments of one's life into eternity. It's so simple and perfect in God, we almost never realize it. So let us practice coming to this place, the center and upper parts of the heart, of the spiritual heart, and letting oneself have permission to rest and ordain that place as home. Ah, oh, this home within my heart of hearts. this home wherein I observe with my intelligence, my various capacities as a human being, both gifts and challenges we all have. How shall I utilize very fully accepting how I am made so that my innocence is so blessed and so allowed by me that heaven and this place in my heart begin to practice being one. What does this feel like? How do I commence that path, the realization of innocence, such a perfection of the human being?